5: You are listening to Myst Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Myst Apex Podcast, brought to you by the F1 2018 video game. This episode is called Car on Your Head. Car on your head. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets. Matt, do you have a car on your head?
1: No, but I do have a different set of headphones.
5: Yeah, and you sound different because you're joining us from holiday again. We appreciate the commitment. Matt, uh, some people complaining it's a boring race, but we did have like a really interesting qualifying session, one of the, the best for a long time. And we also had a very exciting and dramatic opening. And then we kind of had, I don't know, an hour or so just to chill and watch fantastic machinery go round and round.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be it could have been interpreted as a boring race, but really a lot of interesting things happened. And frankly, it's like orange juice. Sometimes it comes squeezed into a pitcher orange by orange. And other times you buy that tiny little block of concentrate. And that's what today was.
5: And that analogy confuses and angers me. We are an independent podcast produced <laughs> in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by rising star journalist Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. Hello, Chris. Hello. And we're joined by chief microphone headbutter Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Alex?
3: It's going really well, Spanners. I have to warn you today that I'm feeling very mischievous, so God knows what I'm going to say. And... um I've got a child monitor
6: to look after, but we're all good.
5: Good. And looking after the chat room, we have Uncle Steve down under.
6: How's it going, Steve? It's going well, thanks, Ben. How's everybody doing? Awesome.
5: Chris Stevens of Autosport and Motorsport.com sometimes. Wow, you're going places in the world. Tell us about qualifying.
4: Qualifying was interesting, wasn't it? Um, especially going into Q3, just as the rain was coming down and they're trying to go out on slicks and uh, a, he- a heck of a save from Valtteri Bottas at Blanchemont as well. Usually if you go off there in the rain, you end up in the barrier. So that was a nice recovery there. But it, it really screwed up a lot of people's plans. I mean, uh, Mercedes, for example, Bottas was only out there to give Lewis Hamilton a, a slit stream on, on his uh, hot lap. And uh, as we know, uh, some guys got uh, their fuel wrong as well. They uh Kimi raikkonen and both the Red Bulls ended up much further down the grid because they uh mistimed uh the the session and expected the weather to change. It's
5: uh it's good that they used bottas to give Hamilton a toe, completely putting to bed all suggestions that he's a wingman. Isn't that right, trumpets
1: Well, I think we'll have to see in Monza now, won't we? Because this is yet another racetrack where a toe can be advantageous if you get it right. And we never really found out, I mean, does Hamilton actually owe him one now? Because the tow never really happened because of the weather. What do you think, Stevens?
4: Uh, I don't know. I mean, usually at Monza, they sort of take it in turns between runs, don't they? Um, so I guess we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Um, but it's a really tricky thing to try and organize. I mean, we've seen McLaren try and do it. We've seen other teams try and do it in the past, and it just doesn't work out a lot of the time. It's a high-risk uh, strategy.
1: Yeah, it is, but I think I think I think we'll see for sure what the relationship between Bottas and Bottas, sorry, chat room, Bottas and Hamilton is when we get to Monza and see if he's still slower on the straights. Who sets whom up with a toe in Q three?
5: So then, Chris, interesting qualifying session. Am I is my memory serving me right that it was dry for Q one and Q two, and then in Q three they all went out on slicks before the weather got involved.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, nobody managed to get a time in uh, before the track was too wet for slicks. I mean, the Force Indians tried, and another miraculous save, really, by Sergio Perez going
5: up O Rouge. It, it just—it just shows you like how little we know from uh, the the sort of sofa and the sofa position. Like, if you were the referee, because Matt, I was there. I was there going, "Oh, well, it's got to be worth at least a punt on the dry tyres. It's got to be worth a punt. It's not going to get any drier. Just go for it." And then both Force Indians nearly end up uh, in the wall at Radion.
1: Yeah, but you know what? You were right. It was worth it because they didn't refuel either. But because they ran that extra super slow lap on the slicks, they were on track when conditions were at their best. And this is when we saw both Red Bulls and um, Kimmy not have enough fuel to take advantage.
4: And we saw Lewis going out there, and, you know, right at the end of the session as well, on track at the same time as Sebastian. So in terms of the conditions, it was quite equal between them, but it was surprising to see the gap. Um, between them. And if you actually look at the lab, um, it's a, it was a real to and, and fro between them. There were a lot of sections where Seb was actually um, quicker, but he had a uh, low battery during his lab, so he didn't have all that extra electrical power to help him out.
1: Yeah, uh, I saw on Twitter, I think it was Alex Dale retweet, I believe it was a Formula One thing where they did a side-by-side comparison of the Q3 laps. And I, I'll admit, I was surprised at the size of the gap. But I did read after the race that because the timing was so wonk for Ferrari, uh, Vettel actually had showed up to that lap with a, less, a way less than full battery. And I think that probably accounted for him not making time back up in the last sector, which he had traditionally taken a lot of time out of Hamilton in.
4: He ran out of energy after turn one. So he did the majority of that uh, lap. Without electrical um, power. And what is absolutely fascinating about that is if, if you look at the mini sectors, Sebastian was quicker out of La Source. Um, by the end of the Kemmel Strait, Lewis was sort of marginally uh, ahead, going quicker because he was a bit more com- committed um, through a Rouge. And despite lacking the electrical power, Sebastian was still quicker out of Paul Frere and through the high speed section. Um, so even though he didn't have all the power available to him, he was
5: marginally quicker than Lewis. Genie, then what happened to the so-called young Dutch rain master? Cause I mean, look, Lewis Hamilton, he does it. It is every single time. I'm not imagining it, am I? And, uh, uh, Max Verstappen, he cultivated this reputation as being amazing in the rain in Brazil in that one race. Uh, but the last couple of times, where's he been? It's interesting you say that about Lewis when it comes to the rain because every single
3: time um every single time we have those conditions he always rises to the top. I said that on several different things and I but I agree on Max. Um he's had one or two decent showings in the rain um and to be fair the one or two decent showings he's had in the rain he still got beat by Lewis and everybody thinks well, he's this master yeah. but um Hang on let's no, get I, let's get sparkles
5: a, to defend Max because uh, the Netherlands is our third highest audience. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Hello, Dutchies. Um, no, well, th- to be fair, a- against the, you know trying to battle Lewis, um, Lewis has got a significantly better car than Max, um, so I don't think that comparison is entirely fair. But uh, if we harken back to a conversation, uh, Matt, that you and I had with Summers uh, about yeah. why the Ferrari and the Red Bull really struggled in the soaking wet Hungarian Grand Prix qualifying. Um, because of the the rake they run on the car, they run much more rake than the, the Mercedes do. And uh, overall, through technical mastery that I don't quite fully understand, but Summers does, um, it, it makes them a worse off car in the wet than the Mercedes.
1: Well, and here I was thinking, it's just the fact that Red Bull's getting to grips with having to be a customer team this year.
4: Well also, they've been uh, trimming the wings out as well, which I don't think um helped and uh, Ricardo, especially he'd been toing and froing between a high downfall and a low downfall setup, and got no consistent running during that weekend at all.
3: Do we think with Ricardo that he's not getting the full bag of toys because? ever since then because they've already said that he's not going to be in any of the technical briefings or any of the technical meetings uh until he's literally just going to turn up and drive which is what every driver wants to do they want to be in the technical stuff but uh do you think they've taken some of his toys away as well
0: hmm. i wouldn't
4: be surprised um i know that red well what's funny about that actually is that red bull and mclaren are both running uh a spec c engine that Renault themselves aren't running um so there's, in a way, you, you gain something, you lose something, I guess.
5: All right. So let's move on slightly, Trumpets, because key to this battle, this championship battle between Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton this season has been increasingly the activities of their number twos and their strategies throughout the race. So we lost Bottas because of an engine penalty. So just uh, quickly confirm to me, I think that's because he's just had too many bits now. And also what happened to Kimi?
1: Well, uh, Botas blew up one of his engines early on in the season. So he was, he was one off of Hamilton in terms of sequence. That's why he, when he took a fresh engine, this is a good time for them to take it. And then, uh, with regard to Kimi, uh, Kimi actually was probably, uh, might have beaten Vettel if he'd had full battery, the, the Kimi, Kimi, this is a track that he loves and he had driven extremely well for the whole for all of the sessions up till then but ferrari crucially did not get enough fuel into his fuel tank when he came in to put on his wet tires or his enters and this kept him off the track and put him into the midfield which as we will see rapidly ended his race
5: uncle steve you're looking after the fine chat room folks that go to youtube and search missed apex podcast what are they up to
6: right at the moment they're having a little bit of fun with the start of the race. Um, but Peter Van Gans has got a question. He wants to know: Is Alonso the record holder for the most numbers of m- the most meters airborne in an F1 car? <laughs>
5: well, we'll get to that. But we'll Ket establish a-
6: that. <laughs> but but Athaya comes back and says that Alonso has the record for the cumulative longest airborne at the first corner at Spa.
5: Oh, well, that's as good as the Triple Crown. He doesn't need to bother anymore then, does he? Uh, Oh, no, the
6: the chat room are well over the Triple Crown. I reckon that's (laughs) last week's argument. Sorry, sorry. Trumpets?
1: No, I I was just going to ask before we move on if the Botas-Van Dorn incident has made it into whose fault is it or not.
5: Ooh, no, I hadn't put it in there, but we can cover it there if you'd like.
1: Well, you seem like you're getting itchy fingers to move on, so...
5: Tell me, tell me all about that incident and, uh, you got a reprimand, right?
1: he did get a reprimand and for all those people who believe the FIA exists only to benefit Ferrari was (laughs) anyone else here surprised that's all he got given the severity of the incident
5: no because that's what we've seen that's fairly consistent with what we've seen they are reluctant to give out grid penalties and reluctant to give out time penalties especially for things that don't happen in a race session so no I think that's fairly consistent with the penalties they've given so far no yes couldn't have given him a, a grid penalty. He was already starting at the back. Could have given yep. him a
1: time
4: penalty.
3: Yeah, there was there was nothing really that else they could give him that would cause any pain this race, and they can't pass it on to the next.
5: Good. I tell you what, we can move on to though is the race. I'm pointing here, assuming there'll be some amazing graphics from Steve in the final edit of the video. I'm not just pointing to their ugly, ugly faces, Matt. Why don't you tell us where this race was won and lost?
1: Well, uh, outside of qualifying, which we've just discussed, and where we saw Kimi crucially in the midfield, along with uh, the Red Bulls, you have to really look at the start in this race. In particular, I find that the launch phase was critical for Alonso. Oh,
5: Oh. wah, wah.
1: (laughs) I am, at the end of the day, also a father. Yeah, no, uh, really it was a good start for Hamilton and he he squeezed Vettel to the point that that after the um race was over he says I don't think Lewis saw me there.
5: <laughs> right, no no, I, I don't I, th- I don't know if that was sarcastic, but actually uh, yeah. I I think I think Vettel had the better of Hamilton race-wise wheel to wheel today. But I was sitting there wondering what was going to happen at the first turn. What were Lewis Hamilton's options? Because I think we all universally agreed that that little trick through Eau Rouge up through Radeon and lifting before that section wasn't going to work this time because Ferrari had more power. I was thinking that he would have to do more into turn one. And sure enough, alongside, he actually took a much wider line than than was necessary. And I wondered if he was hoping that the Force Indias would then get involved and, and give him a bit of a buffer. Going through that Kemmel straight section,
1: yeah so he, I think sorry, Chris, go ahead
4: yeah, he really needed the force Indias to try and get in uh, amongst him and try and upset him his his rhythm, and that probably would have uh, helped him uh, quite a lot, Matt
1: yeah, well instead what happened was that O'Connor of all the starters people at the sharp end of the grid got the best start. And rather than trying to get in front of Vettel, he tucked in and, along with Vettel, used the slipstream to just about take the lead going into Lake home. If he had not backed out of that, he would have left Vettel with a very unfortunate choice to make, and he might well have led at least a small part of the lap.
3: Lewis has done exactly what I would have done, which is he knows that Seb's going to have a run at him. So what he's wanted to do is he's wanted to angle him away to reduce his run on him, down down the hill um and the only way to do that is to squeeze him over to the side if a force india got in that would have been wonderful um but yeah you're right the trick going up lifting off the throttle that was so genius last year wasn't going to work this year not only because of power but Vettel would have known it was coming so it was irrelevant but my biggest disappointment from that whole part is it was Ocon. You know, the guy's fighting for a race seat right now. And he was halfway along up the inside of Seb. He would have actually taken him. He would all he had to do that to break at his normal breaking point, and he would have been at that apex first. As far as I'm concerned, Ocon bottled it. Absolutely bottled it. And if, if, if he's doing it for himself, he'd have looked amazing, which is great for um, him coming into a. Into another drive because it looks like he could potentially be out of one miraculously for some ridiculous reason, um, but also it would really, have really helped Lewis out,
4: which is what they want to do for Mercedes. If ocon had jammed it up the inside there, there is a ninety percent chance that Vettel would probably could have maintained the lead, or he would have just slid into him, and Hamilton probably would have got collected Alec, up in that. Uh, Chris. or he only would have hit, or he only would have passed
5: a Lewis and. That's just no benefit to Chris. Either. What are you on about? He was, he was alongside him into a turn on the inside. He completely had that corner. What better way to show the world that you need to be desperate to sign Esteban Ocon than doing one up the inside of Sebastian Vettel into Lecom. Do you think Vettel would have just backed straight out of it? No, yep. he would
4: have tried to have gone around around the outside of him because then he would have had the inside for the second
5: apex and just held on to the lead anyway. So you're saying don't uh, fight. You're saying if you're a young driver in third place in an F1 race, don't fight. Just go home.
4: In the the Force India that is one and a half to two seconds slower than the cars that were around him at that time, what on earth would have been the point of trying to get involved in a fight that you don't belong in? That's been Ocon's MO since he arrived in Formula One, and it served him well.
3: Who pays Ocon's bills?
4: Yeah, I know where you're going.
3: Who pays Ocon's bills? Mercedes. Mercedes pay Ocon's bills. So, but by Ocon getting ahead of Seb what does that do that stops Seb getting away from the Mercedes that is exactly what he was, should have done he was cleanly up the inside Vettel would had no Vettel couldn't have closed the door because Ocon was right there so all um, Ocon would have done would have would have, uh, would have got would have got through and um, Seb wouldn't have closed the door it was just such a
4: big chance of it going wrong
1: post race Ocon was very clear that he was carrying too much speed To cleanly make the apex there. And that's why his his breaking point was where it was. But more to the point, you're going to talk about him losing a race seat. Well, uh, we do know that he was fitted for a seat at McLaren. But I read recently on the very internets where I mostly dwell that he is now ineligible for that seat because he is too tall in the line that you have to draw from the roll hoop to the front of the cockpit his head pokes into and they're not going to redesign a whole car for him. Yeah. That's, Chris,
4: I don't, I don't get about that. I can understand that for like this year's car, but they've had tall people. Like they had Jensen button in that car for seven years. They're
1: and- talking about this year's car.
4: Right. Okay. Because
1: if stroll moves to Force racing point, racy McRae's face, then, then someone's going to need to go somewhere. Aren't they?
4: Well, yeah, so this is what we've been talking about, about how, Ocon's going to be left out of his seat because Stroll uh, is going to be moved into the Force India and uh, we we think it's going to be uh, McLaren. But I I don't think McLaren are going to be too willing to shove Van Dorn out immediately. It could well be uh, that Ocon ends up uh, just sitting out this season and then rejoining next season because uh, Van Dorn won't get a seat at Sauber either because Fred Vasseur has said point blank that nothing's going to be changing this year.
1: All right. Uh, no, but can we get back to talking about the race instead of the driver market? As much fun as the driver market is? Yeah, actually. So naturally, the carnage at the back mattered a bit. We lost Raikkonen. We lost Ricciardo. But it also brought out the safety car. And that not only pretty much put most people onto a one-stop strategy by the time it was in, but it gave us the excitement of a restart with Hamilton behind Vettel. And it looked like, for all the world, he was going to get a good run on him down the straight and into the first turn, except for Hamilton was so close, he actually locked it up going into the bus stop. And that created just enough gap for Vettel to just, I mean, he was gone up the hill by time uh, anything that resembled a passing opportunity had reared its ugly head.
5: All right, uh, remind me of the rules, Chris, because I was sleeping a little bit, and when I saw Lewis Hamilton go for a move into the bus stop, I guess I'd kind of lazily got it into my head, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who made this mistake. Was that you couldn't make an overtake again until the start finish line, but obviously you can. It's the first safety car line, which
4: at Spa is before that bus stop chicane, and I was really surprised to see him go for it. Um, to be honest, because Lewis is a smart guy, he would have known his best shot would have been slipstreaming down Camel and into Lake Homme. So I was quite surprised to see him try and go for something a, a little bit more audacious.
3: I think it was because Seb was a little bit slow going up to the jacquade. And I think Lewis just got a really good run on him. Um, I, and the problem was, I think it was like a half chance, which he likes to do. And then he kind of backed out of it because um, he knew if he got past him there that um, Seb would just get him again up, up the hill. Uh, it, was, it was a misjudgment from Lewis. Let's see what the chat room's up to with Uncle Steve.
6: Um, the chat room are talking about the start, and uh, Johnny's Corner makes the point that if, if O'Connor had wiped out said at the beginning like you were talking about, uh, you'd be the first lot of people to slam him for a reckless move, so you can't have it both ways. I don't want it both ways. I want him to make the move. Well, he didn't this time. Okay, anything else? And, oh, uh, yes, and uh, Armand Eakin says, what about the great start that Perez made? No one's mentioned that at all. And that was a flyer that he made up the inside. For
5: all the praise and uh, plaudits that Esteban Ocon gets, he's got a really talented teammate who is up there consistently. He's the one who picks up the podiums when they're available. Matt, I know you're an Ocon fan, but my boy Perez, he he is up there fighting and I I sit here on the panel. So don't, don't tell me we don't like Perez. I sit here, I defend Perez all the time, Matt.
1: You do defend Perez all the time. And from a driving point of view, He's he he is a proper match for Ocon. I think they they actually make a good pairing. He's always been excellent on tires. He's always been a quick driver. Um it's been I think his personality and his unfortunate time at McLaren more than anything else that's really just kind of uh I hate to use the word tarnished, but has has kind of stuck with him throughout his uh, various race seats. But you can't argue that he took full advantage when Ocon opened the door. Uh, when he tried to pass Vettel and he stuck it there and he stayed there. And, and yeah, if you give him half an opportunity, he will put it on, on the podium. If you let him or not far away. Otherwise,
3: I think what I've noticed about Perez is if you're fighting for seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, I think Ocon will get the better half of him. The second that there is a sniff of something a bit more that puts him in a different um uh area like getting close to the podium all of a sudden you see Perez come alive um you know he outclassed Ocon today um he took advantage of the mistakes that Ocon made not going for Seb uh, and then he backed completely off and lost all his positions so um yeah full plaudits and full praise to
5: Perez today he saw the opportunity for the potential podium and he went for it all right trumpets so we've settled down a bit now haven't we we've settled in The Force Indias slowly get eaten up by Max Verstappen. The two teammates are out of the fight because Kimi Raikkonen has been punted. And we'll cover, by the way, the shunt in Whose Fault Is This? Uh, Bottas is having to fight his way out the back. So we've got Lewis Hamilton chasing down Sebastian Vettel. Tell us where the race was won and lost.
1: Well, do you remember yesterday in the WhatsApp chat that I'm probably not supposed to reference, but I will anyway, or was it Slack? I can't remember. In one of the chats, I said that all things being equal, the race is coming down to tire and energy management so much fun and it you gotta admit that's pretty much what it was hamilton settled in as they got close to the pit stops he picked up the pace and there was a line of blisters that appeared on his tires yeah yeah
5: yeah no that's the thing it's, it's interesting because we normally associate with lewis hamilton with getting a bit grumpy on the tires and today he said no they're fine He he developed that big line and i have to admit yes that tire did look bad but he had the grip, he had the pace, he was closing it down. I'm sure Vettel was responding in some way. However, the lap time was coming down and down and down. You think, Matt, well, why didn't he just keep pushing for another couple of laps, get that down to one and a half seconds and really go for the undercut? Because when he pitted, the undercut wasn't on. He was out of that window.
1: Well, he was, I think, on the right edge of it, given the length of the lap. He was right at three seconds and he had brought it down by almost half a second. But what you were seeing was Vettel would respond. The difference here is Mercedes could go fast for a couple of laps and then I think their tire temperatures would start to peak and they'd start to get the blisters so it was only ever going to be a couple of super fast laps from Hamilton going in and coming out and this was critical to him and he had an excellent in lap he had a stellar out lap and he was I think a uh, BBC mentioned he was close he pulled back close to a second the undercoat is a second and a half. He'd already pulled that back halfway through the lap. And it really looked like he might be right on Vettel's tail and Vettel on cold tires when he came upon the longer running Max Verstappen in sector 3. And that just created enough of a gap for Ferrari to get in and out of the pits. And it, he wasn't even a second ahead of. He was like about 7 cents ahead I think when he came out. But it was enough because he was by time he got up the hill and Lewis began to reel him in. Once they got to Sector Three, his tires were up to temperature and he was gone. He was out of DRS by the time they completed that first lap. And at that point, barring rain or a safety car or just a mechanical failure, uh, you know, Lewis gave it the beans for a couple of laps, but it was it was pretty much done. You could look at their tires when they parked; there were no blisters on his tires. He ran a couple of laps and they said we're not going to catch him today. And everybody just drove around at a manageable pace in the top three.
2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
5: So it's quite key then that Kimi Raikkonen had been taken out earlier. uh, Bottas had not been in that fight. And what it meant was Mercedes had no tactical cards up their sleeve. So let's say that, yes, In the first stint with the super softs, Mercedes was able to live with and be able to kind of um, change their pace around the management and energy and tire conservation enough to disrupt what Ferrari were doing and make them respond to them. So had they had bought us there, clearly there would have been some more strategic options.
1: Yeah, potentially there could have been depending upon how how the start played out. But at the end of the day, I mean, in dry weather, that Ferrari was just plane faster around the track. And and yes, Vettel managed it expertly. Hamilton did everything he could. It was clear from the post-race interviews. But at the end of the day, their options were limited because their car wasn't as fast. And they didn't have, like you said, neither of the second drivers were there to liven things up a bit.
5: All right, so let's let's talk about that then. Let's talk about the gap between these two cars. Everybody, the consensus across Punditry and the paddocks is that Ferrari currently are turning up to races with the best package. Uh, Now, you and I have been talking at length about how you disseminate the information from free practices to try and uh, decipher which car is going to win on Grand Prix Day, who has the faster package. And unfortunately, we were robbed of that dry Q3 because... It would have been really good to see the flat out delta between the fastest Merck and the fastest Mercedes.
1: Yeah, it is. And you know how you're always on me that Mercedes is really the faster car and you know the, and that Ferrari is the one doing the catching up. And and I'll be honest with you. It's looking at through Q2, um, Ferrari was ahead by I think fifty-two thousandth of a second. Q3 would have been so interesting to see if they have caught fully up with their Mercedes or not. But what was clear from the Friday uh from the FP2, the practice two, was that Ferrari, and again, I think this is as much down to how they manage their tires as it is anything else. Ferrari on the medium tires, you had Vettel and Hamilton on the medium tires, and Vettel kept on turning laps in the low 48s, and Hamilton just could not keep it there. If you looked at, if you looked at their longer runs and that to me told the story that Ferrari had the advantage, whether it's because they ran less downforce, whether it's because they have their trick chassis or whether it's because they're stalling the wing is, is sec is secondary. The fact is they have a big advantage right now in the way the car runs in races.
4: Of course, both Mercedes and Ferrari brought significant engine upgrades. The third specification engine um, for this season uh, Ferrari have been making quite a lot of gains with the uh, the fuel, with Shell, uh, and they say that's where a significant portion of their advantages have been made since the beginning of the turbo hybrid era. Um, interestingly enough, uh, this is the first time since Spain that Raikkonen has been on engine parity with Sebastian Vettel, because since Spain and he had that turbo problem, uh, he had to change an engine, which was the original spec. So he never got the spec B engine when Sebastian got it. And now they're both on spec C.
1: That is interesting. And just to clarify, I believe Ferrari has an entirely reengineered MGU-H and turbocharger in that, in that engine. But I had heard, I don't know if you heard this, that the fuel, the new Ferrari fuel is so expensive that Haas actually couldn't afford to run it
5: uh that's interesting uh it really is a fascinating battle between these two teams so uh, matt are you laughing i was being sincere you 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 are you're rocking my world with this technical information it's amazing what? um but I, I hate to admit when you're right about oh about eight races ago right near the beginning of the season what you called was the key would be how the cars interact with the tires well normally we only see one set of tires for the season this season we managed to get a look at these super skinny tires and if you look at how mercedes performance really increased when they had the tires at paul ricard and silverstone you can see that the tires are key to the performance perhaps more than the engine and chassis
1: yeah and uh, i i remember we were talking about the Haas cars and K. Mag demanding they get a tire engineer and how much a difference it made to them or even on the carter show do you remember him mentioning? Like being just shell-shocked when they were like, no, the big difference is when the Mercedes could pick, could sift the tires and know the best ones just for Q3. I mean, but that's, that's where these differences, as these details, that's where they are.
5: All right, look, let's get on to a more shouty part of the show.
4: Whose fault is it?
5: What a shunt! What a shunt! So look, we're not quite talking Spa 98, but wow. I mean, that was at least somewhere ahead of the Grosjean shunt in its domino effect, in the fact that there was more than one incident. I mean, great that everyone's walked away. So now that we know everyone's safe, we can go, (laughs) whoa. I mean, it was amazing, Matt. We had um, Alonso completely launch. Leclerc had a car on his head. He had a car on his head. And... Apart from that, we also had Bottas independently hitting a Williams. And then going through the first turn, we then had, for good measure, Ricciardo shunting into the back of Kimi Räikkönen just to take him out. Oh, you think you escaped all that carnage? Nope. <laughs> Here's a front wing in your tyre, jeansy.
3: But you know what's funny about every single, minor, or every single incident that happened at that first corner? They're all slam dunks. At least in the Grosjean thing, it was like, oh, did Lewis come across, all that... Every single one of these is an absolute slam dunk.
1: Slam dunk. I see what you did there.
5: <laughs> so, uh, so Genzy, go on then. Uh, let's start with, it was Hulkenberg, wasn't it? That set off the really big one. What happened to Hulkenberg? He stamped on the brake pedal on the wheels locked um he has uh,
3: to be fair when i first saw it it looked really weird and i thought it could have been a brake problem or cold tires or something like that that could have caused it that was my first impression from the first thing i saw however hulk came out straight after the race and just said sorry hands up misjudgment um made it all out however during ted's um during ted's talk um in the race afterwards all i heard him say was he forgot to put his contact lenses in i had to rewind back and. I had to rewind back, um, but luckily he was just
5: taking the mix, saying he should have gone oh, to Specsavers. But I was like,
4: wow, that would have been amazing.
5: <laughs> uh, Steve, what's going on in the chat room? Because they're just as excited as we are.
6: <laughs> uh, there's a couple of comments about the um, fuel uh, issue you were talking about, and some teams not being able to buy this new additive that uh, apparently has gone into shelf Fuels. And Rob Graham wants to know, is the Shell claim just a Shell game, which I think is a nice line. It's clever. Um, and European says, I don't think Shell would uh, risk a technical claim that they wouldn't be able to follow up on. So he seems to think that it's all a little bit of a storm in a teacup, perhaps. Um And um uh, EMH2212 says, if anyone told me before the race that the most exciting moment of Spa would be Ericsson versus Hartley and Lewis toweling his bottom... <laughs> I'd have reached for the whiskey to prepare myself earlier. Uh, there's a brilliant there, one there as well from
5: Evangelos Etikarikos that says, it's Alonso's fault because he should have left a car's height while passing Leclerc. And that was, <laughs> that's going to that be hard to beat, Sparkles. That's uh,
4: that's spaceship racing. That's coming in like 50 years or so, isn't it? Something like that. Um, I saw some comments on uh, social media and I'm seeing them in the chat room here as well that Hulkenberg should have uh, tried to go onto the grass, try and avoid... Uh, the back of the car in front of him of course the problem is once you've locked up those brakes you've got no control over the front of your car you can't slow down and you can't steer a tire's only got grip when it's rotating so if it's locked you can't steer and that's why Hülkenberg uh, didn't wasn't able to take
5: avoiding action he should have turn the brakes off and then on again i've heard that that works um uh jeansy you were telling me that a lot of those incidents were nailed on why don't you just quickly take us through then because bottas ended up making contact and also Reichen and ricardo
3: yeah so bottas did a smaller version basically of what holkenberg did he locked up and he went into the back of was it Sirotkin or was it stroll Sirotkin. It was Sorokin, I thought so. Um, yeah, so he just locked up and hit the back of Sorokin. If it, was Stroll, go...
5: if it was Stroll, Lawrence Stroll would have run in and said, no, you don't do that to my boy. He's a future F1 world champion. I've actually made moves to buy Formula One, back off. So that's how we know it was Sorokin.
3: <laughs> um, yeah, because everybody thought originally that Bottas had gone into the pits just as a strategy thing to change tyres. Um, and then it showed him take off most of his front wing. So, uh, yeah, that was Bottas. And, yeah, Ricardo just clouted straight to the side of kimmy um however i think kimmy could have avoided that could have avoided everything if all he had done was straighten up the wheel gone off outside the limits of the track and gone round, and he wouldn't have got collected um and he could have just um, put it down as, as avoiding action
4: sorry that is a bit like saying i wouldn't have been shot in the back if i had jumped out of the way of the bullet yeah that would work you don't You don't know it's going to happen. So uh, it's not like he could see it all uh, coming. But to um, say on the Ricardo thing, actually, he did get a punt from um, Alonso in that incident, which kind of lurched him into that position in the first place. But it was a sort of a separate incident to the Raikkonen. Genzy, come back in. What
3: what I was trying to say was when I was watching Anthony Davidson doing the. showing showing the incident he's coming to the corner and as he's turned right into the corner he could have released the wheel to straighten up but what he's actually done is he's turned a lot more than he needed to and he's swan necked round so what i'm saying is he didn't come out of that corner and go completely straight he's come out the corner turned to the right and kept on going
5: right if he'd have just opened up the steering like you should do uh he wouldn't have got hit Cool. I think we've established whose fault everything was. I mean, that was spectacular. And then Chris is going to wait until the topic is nearly finished to make an additional point, and then Matt's going to do the same thing.
4: I, I just wanted to add that Bottas got a five-second penalty for his incident, and Hulkenberg has a 10-place grid drop for his next one for Monza, so double whammy.
1: Well, since no one actually ever came to me for this topic, I just wanted to know if you needed to hear from me or not.
5: I'd love to. Tell us all you know, oh wise trumpets.
1: Well, I'm just going to ask the fairly obvious question. Has anyone yet blamed Alonso for just simply breaking too soon?
5: No, I I don't think so. Because I think <laughs> is it, the puff of wheel smoke and the screeching brakes and the fact that Hulkenberg said, yeah, I mean, it was me. Gene Z, that that does it for us, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. To be fair, with all the chaos that Alonso has caused and the absolute Rubbish he's been spouting this weekend. I wish I could blame Alonso for that. I'd love to have to throw <laughs> something else at Alonso. But um, but no, unfortunately, he didn't break too early. He can break whenever he wants because he's in
5: front. Well, it was him in the Grosjean incident. It was him in this Hulkenberg incident. How long is he going to go on blaming other people for recklessly running into the back of him? Uh, but I'll tell you what, he flew right up in the air. And Steve, he, he flew up in the air and he came down right on top of Leclerc's Halo. And I know you were anti-Halo when we were talking about it last season. I mean, how do you feel about it now?
6: Um, I've got to admit that I've got to change my point of view. Um, I was totally anti-Halo. the I believe that the you know, slight danger element in Formula One sort of adds something, you know, the, the, the people watching get a little bit out of that. But after seeing what happened to the halo last night on Leclerc's car, I got to say that I'm a, a staunch supporter of him now. Um, did anybody get a close look? at it? it looked to me like there was so much damage that the actual halo had been cracked, or was that just paint that had come off the outside of it?
4: Uh, I couldn't any- say either way, having uh, you know not not seen it for myself. But it did just look like tire marks and paint coming away. Um, this is actually the second time this this year I make it that. Halo has helped because uh, there was an F2 incident
5: uh, back in Barcelona with Fukuzumi, I think it was. Well, hang on a minute. Um, There was one in F1 as well in Canada, wasn't there? There was someone right up against the wall and uh, the wall hit the Halo structure. So it's we're starting to see, unfortunately, I think in the past, incidents where people have gone, oh, that's kind of close... Now we're seeing the halo interfere. Obviously, the halo is outside of the sphere of the helmet, but the indication that a car has landed on the halo tells you that we're in that territory, aren't we, Chris?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've, I've seen some comments that um, the halo wouldn't have made a difference in this instant because of uh, the, the roll hoop is designed in such a way that, say, if the car goes upside down, the driver's head won't hit the, uh, the ground. And so if Alonso had, say, hit that roll hoop and gone in a straight diagonal line to the ground, he wouldn't have hit Leclerc's uh, helmet. But of course, that doesn't take into account tires flailing around all over the place and lots of heavy body work also going rogue as well. So I definitely think this is a, uh, you know, a a case for Halo.
1: I definitely think this is a case where I should just explain it personally, but First of all, I think to answer Steve's question, there's a fairing that most teams run on the Halo, and that's probably what you saw that was cracked. And secondly, when you're talking about any device like a Halo, you're not talking about specific discrete things. You're talking about a cloud of probability. And the fact that twice now we've seen the Halo impacted with structures, be it a car in the air or a wall simply indicates, I think as Spanner's rightly pointed out, that we are into the territory that this was designed for. And yeah, if there was no halo there, LeClaire still might have walked away. We don't know because there was a halo there. But the point is, do we really want to find out when the fix is that straightforward? And as much as from an aesthetic point of view, I still dislike it greatly. Oh, it's ugly. It's hard to argue. Yes. It's hard to argue against its functionality. It is a very functional device. And it's doing exactly what they designed it to do. And from that, you got to give them kind of 10 out of 10.
5: Yeah, you're not, you're not going to get any argument from me on the aesthetics. The thing looks horrible. And I do really feel bad for the people who swore on their lives they definitely gonna, weren't going to watch F1 if the Halo came in because they've they've missed out on all that action this season because they wouldn't have lied about that, would they? Uh, but, you know, Gen Z, yes, from a functional point of view, how close do people want to get? Before they admit that the halo is a good idea. How does it, does it really have to be a car landing directly on the roll hoop bit? And then we can use, um, was it Hawkeye from cricket to do a Hawkeye representation of where the car would have ended up and crushed the head? Like sh- surely we can see this is a, a no brainer now. Well, briefly on the aesthetics,
3: I've actually stopped noticing it. Yeah, I don't even I don't even notice it anymore. It's 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 a non it's a non event a non function. Um, it's like Cindy Crawford and her mole in it. Um, you mustn't nice talk 80s, about the mole. nice eighties nice reference there <laughs> uh, for the podcast. Um, no, you saw from the impact that that halo had on it, and the amount of tire that would actually hit that halo. If the halo wasn't there, that would have hit the clerk in the face and the clerk would be dead that's that's what would have happened today so as far as uh, i'm concerned that is complete um,
5: uh, cut and shut case i simp- have sympathy sympathy with what you're saying it's obviously objective we i i'm not sure it's that cut and g- dry i think it's closer than you it, would fact. want it to <laughs> um but yeah i mean I, I just i think it is aesthetic I, I still can't see the logic of the argument against um people are saying that um uh you have to have an element of danger. All right, well, let me take away the Hans device. Let me take away the helmet. People wouldn't want that. Uh, this is just the next step in the natural evolution of, of things getting safer and safer. I don't know, uh, Matt, you're kind of old. Do you need that danger element in F1? I don't. I like the sport of it. I don't need the risk of people being injured f- for me to enjoy F1.
1: No, uh, the risk was always something that was tolerated because you wanted to be there. But no driver ever made the argument i think i'd like the fuel tanks uh with with no dry couplings directly around me in the cockpit rather than behind me in a separate fuel bladder yeah Uh, no of course every driver wants to be safe and there's no way to be 100 percent safe when you have that much energy when you have cars and that much mass going that fast
4: as somebody who has seen firsthand drivers getting seriously injured in motorsport I will sit here and take any opportunity you can offer to make it safer. Because, honestly, there's nothing worse. And it's a horrible part of my job when I have to
5: deal with that. Yes. Let's move on. All right. It is fair to say that this race didn't quite spark. And they they don't all have to be massive thrillers, do they? Um, but Matt, is, is there anything that we need to change? Is, it, is this just part of the natural order of things? Can we cope with the second half of a race being boring? Uh, or, you know, is there something wrong? What, what could the Mercs have done differently? H- here's a question for you. Could the Mercedes have set themselves up for more wheel-to-wheel action, knowing the scenario with the Kimmel Strait. Having seen that scenario play out before, why did they go for Sector 2 as being their target sector with lots of
1: downforce? Maybe because they thought it was going to rain during qualifying and they wanted that <laughs> advantage. Maybe because they thought it might rain during the race. Uh, you don't know. They They set up that way because... In the best of all worlds, they thought it was the quickest way around the track for them. Ferrari obviously made some different choices, and then you put them together in the race, and you see what happens. But for people complaining about this race being boring, it reminds me of the old Saturday Night Live skit called Short Attention Span Theater. Am I the only one who's like, what do you mean boring? We have two teams at the top. Hamilton's lead is being Reduce, but Mercedes gain points in the constructors. I mean, we have a season-long race going on here with two teams and two people properly in it for the championship. Be grateful, be very, very grateful is what I would say to you.
4: I 100% agree with that, Matt. what uh, Very nicely put. Um, just on Mercedes, I will say that um, of the two wings that they brought, they ran the lower downforce one. Um, so I guess the the designs that they brought were all about the compromise between top-end speed and downforce that everybody has to make at this circuit and how best it they, they work with their package. So I don't think it's a, a simple case of it between two teams run this level of wing and you'll get the same outcome. Genesy. Could it be they're not used to being that much outpowered down the straights?
5: Uh, Could look, it have but, been a
3: little bit of oversight in the sense that they uh, don't uh, think, well, they hang on. think, even though the new Ferraris caught them, didn't think it would be that, bigger difference. But, but to be fair, the whole reason for me that the race didn't spark was Bottas wasn't in the race. Kimi wasn't in the race. Danny Rick wasn't in the race. There was loads of talk about this being a two-stop race. I think if those three were actually involved in the race, it might well have been because there might have been people pushing different strategies.
5: Okay, but Chris, Mercedes weren't just slower than Ferrari on the main straights; They were slower than quite a few teams because they, they'd chosen that higher downforce package.
4: Yeah, we saw Red Bull were uh, really, really quick in, in sectors one and three uh, as as well. Uh, not so much in terms of um, the actual top end speed, I think, but overall in those sectors, they were looking quite good. So I think had they been in the fight properly, uh, had qualifying gone their way a little bit more, we uh, would have seen an even more interesting race. The th- the big thing for me about why this race didn't spark was that, you know, we had these Super soft tires supposed to be blistering and they were a lot on Friday. And then we get to the race, and they're actually doing half a race distance, and it it's getting a bit tired. These yeah, you know these easy one stop races that just nullify the strategy um, so much. You know we need to get away of of spicing that up a little bit more.
1: You say easy one stop, but I believe none other than a motorsports genius journalist Mark Hughes wrote an analysis saying the exact opposite. Based on Friday timings, don't overlook the impact the safety car will have had on the ability of most of the runners to one stop. I think for the majority of the people, I, I think Max Lewis um, and 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 Vettel once once you once you took out uh, Raikkonen and Ricciardo, they were only going to be the ones who were really looking to one stop at the start of the race. But the fact of the matter is, the safety car was out long enough that it made the window of possibility open for a lot more teams. And that conversely made the race less interesting for the fans, but much better for the teams and the strategists because they prefer it that way.
4: I'd be, I'd be surprised that the safety car made such a huge difference because it was uh, quite a short period of like, you know, only two laps. So let's say you get an extra two or three laps out of the, uh, the, the tire, like out of, out of that. That's still a, comfortable one stopper because the the if you look at the graphics you know they're still sitting there and saying the the window is you know closes on lap 22 and that's halfway through the
5: race well it's interesting yeah. that we get to do this armchair strategy but i'll tell you where you can do this in real life and that is well real life through a controller and that is with our sponsor f1 2018 so chris you've taken out uh you've taken 2018 f1 for a spin How have you found it
4: I've really enjoyed it. The uh, the gameplay is is really really cool. I, I'm liking the new handling model and the aggressive curbs that they use now because they really um, spit you out. And the ga- to look at it is gorgeous. The wide shots are fantastic. What is forcing you to respect track limits? I'm not sure if I'm on board with that. Oh, I know. I like to abuse them as much as possible. But do you remember the spin that Bottas had in qualifying? And uh, in uh, qualifying, I did that exact same thing on like my <laughs> fifth lap in uh time trial um but it's it's really really enjoyable and the ai are fantastic as well ah, so now far then,
5: that has always been one of my big complaints in f1 games and i do have a code as well i just haven't had the time to do it um but yeah um basically in old games of yore you could just basically park it on an apex and all the ai would just stop and line up behind you
4: no uh, they are quite a great they will go for for moves they're they're good on defending uh, if you try and jam it up the inside of them, they will, they're will they not just going to uh, yield, they're still going to defend their position. Well, well, um, but um,
5: overall, it's really enjoyable. Well, what's it like if it starts raining? Because Sebast- Sebastian Vettel, in real life, he's hes quite a bit like the Wicked Witch of the West. you know, Like, oh, a small amount of water has fallen on me. I'm melting. I'm melting. I haven't uh, driven in the wet yet, annoyingly. I
4: was kind of just running some quick Grand Prix to, uh, to, to see how it goes. But there's rain forecast for my first career mode race, which is like, come on, ease me in,
5: guys, come on. Uh, you use the racing line anyway, so you're okay. <laughs> uh, the new improvements <laughs> that they list is that in F1 2018, it makes it feel like you're right in the action. Revamped visuals make this the most realistic-looking F1 game to date. Drive through dense fog, rain, Chris's racing line, and the blazing heat. Feel the raw energy of an F1 car with F1's 2018 improved physics, and feel that suspension go to work.
4: And the, the media stuff that they've introduced. Oh, God. For- do, you, do you get to like but- set
5: your stall out? Can you be like, like Magnuson? Can you be like, oh, yeah, uh, mm. kiss my cheek, honey?
4: Yeah. Yeah. So there are uh, different types of answers that kind of differ between being sporting and being quite showy offy. And each team will have a preference for which one they, they prefer. So teams like, uh, Haas will want you to be a ah. bit more tongue-in-cheek whereas like the works teams will be like no you must be super professional robotas. and not say anything. There. you
5: must be robotas
4: if they kind of ask you about your car that it's something has to link up between either the power unit or the chassis or the aerodynamics or or something there's no kind of overarching thing of just like overall things are a bit
5: eh. you have to like Identify you have to call someone out and say, No, this bit is awful. It's Renault's um, fault. And and yeah. I will give you a call to action if you want to get involved with the F one 2018 game. Of course you do. It's available now on PlayStation Four and Xbox One. Go to formula one dot com or visit your local retailer to pick up a copy and make headlines today. Visit Formula dot com and get your copy today. Many thanks to Deep Silver for supporting Mist Apex Podcast. Let's go to any other business. Uh, there were teams apart from Mercedes and Ferrari competing today. Uh, what happened to Haas, Matt? Uh,
1: Haas actually did very, very well. They've closed up to within a couple of points of Renault. And uh, Magnussen is just about caught Hulkenberg. So we have like a real battle for the uh, Formula B championship also in. In full swing. And I would say as well, the New Force India, Racy McRae's face, Race Point Accounting Software Limited concern, did very well for themselves. In a single race, they have now surpassed the yearly total for Williams and are but a single point off of Salber. That single point being represented by Marcus erickson finishing, believe it or not, 10th.
4: Yeah, that's a good step isn't it? I, I think. Uh... Force India, um, maybe flattering to deceive is not the right, the right word for it, but we're definitely at two circuits in Spire and Monza that has traditionally suited their car very, very well. And uh, uh, I believe that massive upgrade package we were talking about a few shows ago that was worth about half a second um, as soon as the actual um, investment came in and the team was out of administration um, that uh, would come through and be worth quite a lot. So I think that's played a factor in there as well. So I, I'd still argue that overall Haas still have like the fourth uh, quickest uh, car so they may not have bested force India today uh, but I think they, they they will do over the remainder of the season after Monza uh,
1: if they could if they could come up scrape the money out from the couch cushions to pay for that fuel additive they would probably be even more so and the reason I wanted to talk about it briefly here in any other business which is any other business so stop with the side high spanners is that I'm wondering if this might actually be a backdoor way for manufacturers to claw back control of their power units from the FIA, which is now mandated everybody gets exactly the same modes and same power units but says nothing about fuel. So if I make an expensive enough fuel that none of my customers can afford it, automatically I have an advantage they'll never get on the other side. Well,
5: wait, wait, obviously that's wrong because when we broke with Carter talking about the engine mode stories with Grosjean, didn't everybody, uh, including Paul DeResta to say, no, 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 they've always had the same engine modes available. So clearly that's rubbish, Matthew. Uh,
1: no, that that is a very technically, forensically correct r- misreading of what Carter was saying, but what Carter is saying and what they're saying is true. Yeah. The engine has access to all of those modes, whether or not the Mercedes will give you permission to run them is something that has changed for this season. And we've seen it in the performance of the midfield to a certain extent. And we've seen teams in the midfield saying, wow, this is like remarkable because before we were being much more controlled and the manufacturer will always argue entirely for reliability purposes. But that reliability extracts a performance cost as it's a compromise and a balance. And, and the manufacturer is now taking less responsibility and allowing his midfield teams more.
4: Now, remind me, is there a cost limit on how much you can sell
5: a power unit supplied for? Because if, if there is, then maybe there needs to be one for mm, the fuel. Yeah, we, well. should, we should explore that in a yeah. not a race review. Uh, but Chris, you were talking about Carlos Sainz and you felt that he had done very well indeed.
4: Yeah, he did. I mean, coming up from, you know, back of the grid, last minute engine change after qualifying, uh, to get up to only 12th. Um, but of course, you know, the, the Renault power has been a bit down and around the unusual strategy of going from mediums to super soft. I actually thought it was quite an impressive race from him.
5: Fair enough. But wouldn't Ricardo have finished ahead of him? Kimi also would have, so that's 14th. Uh, Alonso would have been fighting him. I don't know. Uh, uh, i'm just uh, saying there was a no. lot of attrition uh jeansy you've um gone on go on chris
4: no but there was no way McLaren would have been ahead of Ray no Ray. i
5: know I, I felt i was overreaching there i i, I sensed <laughs> that uh <laughs> talk to me quickly about the the bottas comeback jeansy because we we've kind of got used to saying that it doesn't matter where the cars qualify even the best cars if they start at the back they're going to finish in the top six so why are you impressed he pulled some great moves. I mean, round the outside of Hartley through
3: Aurouge was was... I don't care what car you're in. I don't care how good your car is. If you're in a category that's the same, to go around the outside of O'Rouge Rouge was damn impressive. And especially because he was really wide. It wasn't like he pushed... Hartley up against the kerb. He was really right wide around the outside of Hartley. So that was actually really impressive. His pace was good. He stayed out of trouble and he pushed and he pushed and he pushed and he pushed. It was a really good comeback, especially after going up the back of um, Sorotkin at the first corner. I was just really impressed with him today. Especially because he made a bit of a hash of it um, in
5: qualifying <laughs> yesterday with that yeah. weird spin uh, through Blanchemol. So we're coming up towards the podium and there's been a lot to talk about considering it's a race that everybody said was super boring and i can't quite keep in my head everything that's happened if only there was some way if only there was some way to summarize this race in 60 seconds what do you think trumpets
1: i think i'd like to give it a try go on son give it everything lights out great start arcone hamilton squeezes vettel Hulkenberg launches Alonso. Alonso gets more airtime time than McLaren. Dream job. Both literally and figuratively, flying Alonso doll sold separately. Vettel gets Hamilton. Ocone almost gets Vettel. Safety car, restart. Hamilton locks up. Hamilton pits. Vettel pits. Hamilton held up by Verstappen. Vettel leads. Bonus passes everyone for fourth. Checkers! Eriksson tenth.
5: Uh. Now I'm no master of mathematics. Man, I, I do time everything in Mississippis. There was only about 20 Mississippis, man.
1: Uh well, you know, what do you expect? I'm on vacation.
5: Fair enough. You're on a go slow. Tools down. own break. Uh, the podium passed off largely without incident, apart from Lewis Hamilton declaring that something funny was going on with that car. Chris, is this proof, what Lewis Hamilton just said, is this proof that Ferrari are definitely, definitely cheating? Uh, no, I, Lewis's comments there were a little bit misconstrued uh,
4: and and taken in the wrong way, because after that he said, no, we've all got trick stuff on our car. What he meant by trick stuff was not something that was ah. illegal and they were hiding from the FAA, but things that they consider, this is a nice little thing
5: that we have All right, then let's talk about who did really well at the weekend. And Steve's going to be on the lookout. So give us your awards in the chat room. Go to the chat room by searching Missed Apex Podcast in YouTube. Follow the show at Missed Apex F1. You can follow me as well at Spanners Ready. I really like people following me and interacting with me on Twitter. I do have a new Twitter account to talk about. You could follow at Spanners BBC and see what that's up to and see if that impresses you at all. Uh, let's talk about the thing of the weekend then. Jean Z, who is your thing of the weekend? Uh, that Bottas move at Eau Rouge. If you're going to overtake somebody at Eau Rouge, it wins everything. There's nothing
3: better than that. It's just
5: phenomenal. But the thing is, they talk about um the Eau Rouge rodion and I say it like that to stop people making stupid, already tired jokes. Uh, if you go through that complex flat out, they're saying it's easy flat now. You've still got to pick the right line, so if you are then going to go around the outside of that bottom section, you've got to make some big compromises as you go left at on. surely. You have to have some t- t- testicular fortitude to uh, to make
3: that one work. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was to make that work going around the outside. You've got to have lots of trust in your car and lots of trust in the guy next to you. Would he have done
5: that to Stroll? Probably not. Excellent. Let's go to Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens to find out who he rated higher than anybody else for this Grand Prix.
4: Well, my thing of the weekend is actually the uh, uh, post-race, post-qualifying press conference uh, when uh, Sebastian asked Esteban, uh, oh, so you're not at Force India next year? And he goes, no, the seat's taken. And he goes, oh, by who?
5: Who do you think the guy who bought it? Uh, And we had that drawn to our attention because it was in French, wasn't it? That conversation by Tarek on Twitter. That's where I found that. I think three wheels, four legs also reported that. But yeah, Ocon, he's, well, what what else is he going to say? He, he knows he's basically had his talent stunted for someone with a, with some dollar.
4: I, I love it when a driver does not so much gets fed up, but just kind of ignores the rules because someone will have told him, don't say that, <laughs> especially at a press conference.
5: Yeah. But but in the end, it might not be Ocon that misses out ultimately, because I mean Stroll is already in F1, so he's not taking an additional seat in F1. He's just moving seats. He's moving up the grid a little. Trumpets.
1: Yeah, well, if we are, are we going to have a special uh, a word for people saying things like that? We could also toss up Kubica, who, when asked what else he felt he needed to do to get a Formula One seat, he's like, "What do you want me to do? I drive the car once every three months, and I'm a half second faster than both the race drivers."
5: Did he say that? That's funny. In his uh, Beyond the Grid interview, he said, yeah, look, I know I'm, yeah, he basically said the same thing. He said, look, I know I'm quicker. I know what I can do. Uh, Do you want to give us your thing of the weekend award?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with the qualifying laps in the third qualifying session, because that was very, very, very exciting. That's the kind of craziness that we all tune in to see.
5: Yes, I absolutely agree. Jeansy, uh, so you've given us your thing of the weekend, haven't you? So does that just leave us with Steve Amy in the chat room?
6: Well, personally, my thing of the week, I've got to give it to The Halo, only because I was so dead set against it that um, oh, you know, be- it changed my the way I thought. So I'll give it that.
5: Oh, listen to and you, you the- are flaky liberal. You're like one of those ex-smokers now who, whenever you walk out of the pub, goes, <laughs> uh, 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 as he wafts everybody's <laughs> cigarette smoke.
6: Um and um, uh, Dr. Vijay Geem in the uh, chat room um, reckons that Verstappen's move on Ocon was the thing of the week because it reminded him so much of their F3 days.
5: Oh, no, that was interesting, wasn't it? Because uh, Jeansy, I'll get your comment on this quickly because Ocon was defending going towards Le and then he he then resumed his racing line to the left-hand side. And Verstappen almost accidentally, to avoid Ocon coming back, lunged down the inside. No, he... Uh,
3: Max threw Ocon a dummy. Um, ah. So as as you can see what's happened, as he's come... It's actually interesting, when you watch the onboard from Max, he's, t- he's planned this. He has turned the DRS off really, really early, which is why he's jinked really hard to the right. Ocon's gone to follow him and then instantly jink back the other way um so yeah that's that that, that's a dummy and it was superb I was I was like yes if this works that's a great move and they he he squeezed Ocon just enough on that on that on that exit of the corner and beautiful it's what should have happened
5: between Lewis and Nico (laughs) see we can't deny the absolute talent of the amazing Max Verstappen. And why not talk about how good he is when our third highest listenership comes from the Netherlands? Uh, once again, hello to everybody in the Holland. Uh, let's. And my so- surname is Van Gene. I'm Dutch. Yeah. Okay. So, so keep listening and tell all your friends, etc. Right. Okay. Let's go on to bad thing.
1: Oh, no, you missed the apex.
5: Oh, no, my good thing. So, so my thing of the weekend, Perez is my boy. I'll defend him. You need to pay more attention to Perez. Okay. Sparkles. Who missed the apex for you?
4: Oh, it's got to be Nico Hulkenberg. I mean, how a, a driver of uh, his ca- caliber, you know, we we expect good things from him. And this was a really silly error he made today.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. That's the low hanging fruit trumpets. Who missed the apex for you?
1: Well, I hate to say it, but going back to qualifying in Q3, I think the Ferrari pit strategy and changing tires and getting fuel into the car could have been run better because as, as much as we mentioned Kimi not having enough fuel, there was also Vettel yelling at his mechanics to stop dragging the car around yeah. and destroying the diffuser.
5: Yeah. So, so basically it was chaos, wasn't it? It just was chaos Utter, on that. Sure um, Thing is yeah. you, you make that plan. And I, I wondered if anybody was going into that session thinking, well, it might rain. Therefore let's fuel up for the whole session. Even though the first lap is on slicks, we'll accept a slower lap on the slicks if we don't have to refuel do you think anyone might have done that matt
1: um Force force india wound up do i miss half of it because i was reading the chat room but if you're asking about <gasps> staying on the slicks and taking one less lap that's what happened to force ah. india but I, I don't think they did it purposely i think they misjudged the conditions and it worked out favorably for them
5: okay who have we not done the badness award with Gene Z? for me it's got to be ocon
3: he had he's Got to put himself in the shop window. He had the perfect opportunity to lead a Grand Prix by overtaking a four-time world champion and another f- two four-time world champions into one corner. It would have been a spectacular move that I really think he could have pulled off. And he bottled it. See, see, I agree. Absolute bottle
5: job. I agree. And I think anybody with any common sense or handsomeness whatsoever completely agrees with what you've just said. But I'm just hoping that it hasn't done him any harm just because people are understanding the context of the championship and him not wanting to lose all that goodwill i don't think it would have lost him any more points
3: i think he didn't get a chop opportunity to gain more points i think everyone still thinks he's a he's a quality Mm -hmm. top draw driver but he could have put himself
5: even higher agree uh steve who's missed the apex for you and what the chat room saying
6: buddy Well, uh, for me personally, I kind of agree with 3D Quick in the chat room, and uh, who missed the? Can I give two awards to Miss the Apex? Yeah, you lost. One to McLaren and one to McLaren and one to Williams. Come on, guys, get your act together, for God's sake.
5: I know, and, and i to um, say Bruce I did Wayne. cruelly say uh, after qualifying that Carlos signs had qualified fifteenth merely to acclimatise himself to life at McLaren. I mean, I regret that. I understand that is a little bit saucer of milk for Spanners, but who who else? Who else gets the uh, um, Apex for you?
6: Okay, well, Bruce. Well, one for McLaren, one for Williams, and in the um, chat room, many of them are agreeing with Bruce Wayne. And that's Hulkenberg. Um, he may have missed the apex, but he certainly didn't miss Alonzo. Fantastic. Has anybody
5: got an award that is sort of pony-esque? Daddy, I
6: want a pony! And I want it now! Hands
5: up in the panel. Who's got a pony award? Trumpets!
1: Lance Stroll. I don't know. My father bought Force India, and I guess we'll just have to see what he does. I mean, granted, he's not really complaining, but...
5: <laughs> i mean it's the definition of pony isn't it you know daddy i want a f1 team i already have effectively bought williams for you uh they're they're completely at your beck and call no a better f1 team daddy all right i think that is enough for this week uh chris stevens where can people find you online and your writing
4: uh, you can find me at c stevens underscore journo on twitter you can find my uh, written work occasionally on autosport and motorsport.com and in autosport magazine. Uncle
6: Steve, plug your video company. Oh, my video company's called FBIT, and we make television commercials and corporate videos and training videos and all of those kind of boring stuff.
5: And Missed Apex podcast videos. Yeah. You do a very good job. We love it. We're very grateful to have you. Uh, Gene Z, you are back down to fighting carting weight now, so surely you're going to be back in action soon. Yeah, I've um
3: I've lost eleven kilos, which I found out is pretty much the is is the same weight as my three year old daughter, um which is actually really k- crazy when you think about it. No, I'm hoping to be well. I will be back in the seat uh on the 23rd of September, Kovcart, um racing down at PFI. I have a work event the f- couple of days before that at PF at um Butmore. So send me your times across and let's see how much, how many of you I can um, I can try and beat. Um, but it'll probably rain because I think the rain's going to come and never, ever go away again now. Why is um, it always raining? No,
5: God, the weather's so
3: bad. I know. It's not like we had six weeks of sunshine. Um, yeah, you can find me uh, at Alex Van Gene on pretty much everything because I'm boring and don't come up with pseudonyms.
5: Um, so, yeah, search me on that. I will be posting about my upcoming racing. OK, he should change his Twitter handle to jeansymap, but we'll work on that. I've been talking to Alex Van Jean about where we should have an indoor winter end of season review live show and karting event because we enjoyed the summer mid-season one so so much matt trumpets where can people catch up with you
1: you can catch me at matt 55 on the twitters and of course always look out for my wonderful wife's work at a weaver rights
5: and uh before we go then let's catch up with steve amy to decide who is the winner of this
6: week's
1: comment of the week
6: Well, um, there's been a whole bunch today. The chat room's been going crazy. I've been had a hard time trying to keep up with it. But uh, EMH2212 is in the running. He says that map race control should give Trumpets a 30-second time penalty for reviewing too fast. (laughs) Um, Philip Allen uh, Allen says uh, that no more power units for Merck or Ferrari from now on unless they take penalties. Yep.
5: That's a very insightful yeah, comment. No, it's not particularly a classic COTW winner, but we'll see.
6: No, but it's a good one. Um, European uh, wants to know, do F1208 provide the smoking material to reduce the fog on the screen in, in the game? And <laughs> I'll leave you to figure that one. Um, of course, Evangelos is there with his uh, comment about the collects. Uh, uh, Alonzo should have left a car's height passing for Leclerc, clerk huh? but I'm going to give it to to e m h two two one two for his comeback to that which was the clerk's car should have ducked alonzo's
1: comment off the wheel.
6: Thanks,
5: guys. Don't rely on me posting this on social media. Go to Mystapexpodcast.com and find out how to subscribe to this podcast on your podcatcher. Make sure you get it delivered to you fresh every week and you don't miss out on the bonus shows like we've just had with Carter and Tech Time with Matt Trumpets and Summers F1. Follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at F one We will see you for the Monza Grand Prix race review. Until then, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory last forever. This was Miss Apex. Matt, do you remember a long time ago we were describing what happens when Dad is left in charge of the kid and Mum goes away? And you described described it as uh, the dinner is uh, random and often candy. And that is just how I feel about jeansy van jean and his general performance <laughs> if you leave jeansy on a podcast he is random <laughs> and often candy because he's either being brilliantly insightful or he's just throwing the laptop across the room what, what happened did, did i tell you, Do you know did i'm I... blaming chris i'm blaming How?
3: chris he's not well, in he your house <laughs> i think,
1: I think we need a of is the
3: racing line a free copy of the game
5: that's why I went I was so angry. It's, it's, it's all Chris's fault. Because Chris puts work into his audio and doesn't throw his mic across the room.
1: Tell you this. <laughs> but